0: Hello, friends. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Life Over Coffee. I had someone send in a question, and they were asking about getting saved as a young child, walking away from the faith, getting saved maybe again and living for the Lord, and it's confusing for them. Well, not just for them. I've heard this question before, and so I thought it would be great to do a podcast about this. I want to share with you their question. I'll read it to you in just a moment. Actually, it's a a long question, but I want to share with you what they wrote. But let me give you the setup. Is it possible for a child to make a profession of faith? to walk away from the Lord, live for Satan, and become a Christian later in life? Now, that is a whopper of a question, and I'm pretty sure you have thought about it at some point in your life and some of you are struggling with your profession of faith now whether it was when you were a child or now perhaps you have had two professions of faith you made one of a child as a child and you made one later on well I want to delve into the different aspects of this common concern Maybe one of the ways that you can think about this is how would you respond to a person who wants to know about a child getting saved but drifts from the faith only to come back as an adult? It is something that you do want to think about, and you do want to have a response. All disciple-makers need to have a response to this complex and many Angled, a multi-perspectival question that's being asked here. If you want to read what I'm sharing with you in this podcast, you can read the show notes for this episode. This is episode 240. It is titled, Is It Possible to be Saved as a Child and Get Saved Later? Now, I put the first saved here in quotation marks because we're not sure if that is really genuine or not. And so the question is, is it possible to be saved, in quotation marks, as a child and get saved later? Let me share with you this question that the person sent in, a question and a commentary. It is quite lengthy, but I think it's important to share all of it. Here it is. I slightly edited it for grammar purposes, and also I wanted to flatten it out. Uh, so that we can keep it generic, not pointing to any individual specifically, uh, so we can have universal application for all of us because it does apply to us. And so this person wrote in, they said, Can someone who grew up in the church and professed faith but was not saved, who then turned away to live a blasphemous, vile, perverted life, be a Christian when they are older? Everything I read says that there's just no hope for an apostate. But I genuinely believe that God has saved me. I'm born again. But I'm trying to make sense of my experience when I was 16, when I left to pursue worldly lust. I'm not positive I truly understood the gospel, though I may have. I was not saved, though I did believe in Jesus. But I've been walking in the faith for three years now, and I keep having these fears that what I did when I was 16 was apostasy and what that means concerning my faith now. There has been a real transformation in my life. I see evidence of God's grace working in me, repentance and faith. The fruits of the Spirit, though not as much as I like. Well, yeah, me too. I think everybody else says yes and amen. I, We want to do more. We want to be better. We want to be more obedient. Hopefully, without it compounding us with guilt and hopelessness, but hopefully we all have enough self-awareness to see that uh, we're not doing it as much as we like. And then the questioner goes on and says, but it's been a fantastic experience. I want to continue to grow in grace and faith. I enjoy great seasons of assurance, but I sometimes am overwhelmed by these fears that if what I did when I was 16 and after that, I mean, I sought the world with complete abandon. I tattooed Lucifer on my arm in jail and used to yell, hell, Satan, to people on the street to be obnoxious and vulgar. This condition, let me say this, by the way, for those of you who do evangelistic work and you serve or try to reach out to angry people, whether evangelistically or reaching out to Christians. Listen what this person is saying. He would yell these these horrific things to people on the street just to be obnoxious and vulgar. It reminds me of what the Lord told, I believe it was Samuel, who said, they are not rejecting you for they are rejecting me. And I always keep that in mind when I'm dealing with people like this who may be yelling obnoxious and vulgar things at me. That they're not really rejecting me. I'm just a person that's in front of them. They are really rejecting God, and you need to keep that in mind because you can take things just a little bit too personal that people say to you they have a greater problem with God, and so you don't want to make yourself the center of attention or the center of it all because you're not really God is. And so this person was being obnoxious and vulgar. He says this condition was not a backslide because I was never truly saved before. I am truly ashamed of all my sin. And now, at this age, I've been walking with the Lord for three years. There continues to be growth. All glory to God. But I have been struggling and bothered by the question of if I committed apostasy at 16, and I have spent countless hours trying to find anything similar, experienced to mine, a not truly saved profession of faith, falling away, and then coming to faith later in life. Does this experience contradict Hebrews 6? Is there hope for the apostates? I would truly appreciate any insight into this. Everything I've read says the apostate is Hopeless, but I know there are many stories of people who grew up in the church and left when they were younger, only for the Lord to save them at a later age. Aren't there? Thanks and God bless. Absolutely, there are. There are two things I want. Well, there are several things I want to say here. Yeah, there are a lot of a lot of kids that are leaving the church. In fact, more kids are leaving the church today than ever before. Well, in our, in the last. Several generations, we have seen just an incredible number of kids, and there's so much documentation on this. And so, there are going to be a lot of people coming back to Christ or coming to Christ for the first time when they are 30, 40 years of age, and they're going to tell similar stories because there are thousands upon thousands that are leaving the church. They hit 18, they graduate high school and never to be seen again. And so if this scenario that this person is laying out right now is common, well, it's going to be even more common later on because of all the people that are leaving the church. And so, yeah, there are many stories like this. This idea of apostasy as well, well, what you're really saying is that you're living out what total depravity tells us. You see, we're all born totally depraved. And totally depraved doesn't mean that you are as evil as you possibly can be. Totally depraved means that you are broken through and through. It doesn't mean that you have committed all the evil that you possibly can. It does mean that you have the ability to. And so you were born totally depraved, and you have the ability to just do horrific things that that you, there's no limit. There's no limit to it. I mean, we see some of the more extreme cases of this with uh, some of our world leaders currently and in the past who have done horrific things. That is the possible extent of what depravity could look like, but it, it can even be worse than that. And so you're born totally depraved and, and you have the possibility of doing all manner, all sorts of evil. And so you did. But even what you did do, what you're saying here, and I know you're not giving me your entire autobiography. But what you did do is not even the limits of what you can do as a totally depraved person. All the evil that I have done in my life is not the extent of all the evil that I could do. There are virtually unlimited possibilities for depraved people. And so while we're all totally depraved, but none of us have fully acted out of what true total depravity could be for us. And and, and that's where you need to take that into consideration. You haven't done all the evil that you possibly could do. But then the question is, is God's grace greater than your evil? Well, yes. Yes. God's grace is greater than anyone's evil. God can save anyone. Now, I'm not going to get so much into this idea of apostasy here as he's talking about Hebrews 6. I've written an extensive article on that in Hebrews 10, and I have it linked here. In fact, it's titled, I Met a Christian Who Walked Away from the Faith, and I would commend you, appeal to you to read that article. But I'm going to hit several points here. I've got about six or seven points that I want to work through. And again, you can read everything that I'm sharing with you in this. In, in these show notes. There are also two videos here that I want you to watch. I'm talking specifically to you, the person who's asking this question, but I want the rest of you to watch it as well. I also have a mind map inserted here, a mind map that walks through assurance of salvation, and I want you to watch. Look at this mind map and look up all the scriptures that I have embedded here. I have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, at least 17 scriptures or passages here. And I want you to study them about the assurance of salvation. And so I have. You said you haven't run into or come across any information about this question that you're asking. Well, I have a lot of information here, and I have at least 20 embedded articles inside these show notes. You have two videos. You have a mind map. You have scores of Scripture verses and passages, and and you have at least 20 articles. And so I I want you to spend the next six months studying these show notes, episode 240, and it will be well worth your time because you are having a problem, obviously, and I'm so glad that you have come here to ask your question. And then finally, I want you to get on our forums because we don't do email correspondence. We can't. We get killed. We don't (laughs) We 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 have a we have a team that can answer questions, but my goodness, we can't do email because we get lots of email from everywhere, whether it's through our normal email channels or or Facebook or Instagram or wherever it may be. And so we, we have to deal with all of our correspondence in one place, and that's on our free community forums. But it is free, our supporting community keeps it free. And so praise God for them, and thank God that you have a place that you can come and ask questions. All right, here's some things that I want to jump into. First of all, how do you become a Christian? I mean, just how do you become a Christian when you are motivated to accept and follow Christ as your Savior? Well, it is a sure sign that the Lord is granting you the gift of repentance. Now, it's in in what you are saying here, there may have been two Times that God motivated you to follow Christ. One of them is a little more subjective than the other when you were younger, before you were 16 years of age. But re- repentance and salvation is a gift from God, and that's what we learn in 2 Timothy 2.24, that, that God may grant repentance. And I don't know so much about what happened when you were a child, but based on the information that you are sharing here at this point in your life, as of the past three years, God has granted you repentance. You sound like a believer to me, and I'm not trying to talk you into heaven, pray you into heaven, or wish you into heaven, but just just reading the facts of what you have written here, uh, you sound like a Christian to me. It sounds like God has motivated you to follow Christ. Uh, you have a love for Him. You want to serve Him, and you want to grow any more. Anybody that's talking like this, I have to say, I mean, more than likely, their faith is genuine. I mean, that's just, that's my two cents opinion. I've talked to a lot of people who profess to have uh, faith, profess to be Christians. I, I, I live in the southern part of the United States where everybody is saved. Everybody's a believer. Come on in. It's all fine. But when you begin to talk to them, they don't sound like you. Many of them don't. They don't sound like a passion for Christ and even regret over the past or even a little bit of regret because they're not just growing enough. No, you sound like a Christian to me, and so one of the things is how do you become a Christian? Is God grants it, and then there are there are evidences of that salvation. Another point that I want to make here is this idea of experience versus faith. You talk a lot in your que- or several times in your question that you sent or your commentary about your experience, and your experience has a. Uh, a, a lot of control and, and mental shaping uh, over you. Now, experience is vital. There's no question about that. We all should have a experience. We we all should have a testimony. But, but your experience and then your past experience and your current experience, it, your past experience is having a little bit a little more control than it should. When anybody's experience begins to tamp down the Word of God to where your experience is more dominating than the Word of God, has more influence over you than the Bible, but then you need to change and you need to prioritize. Now, that's part of why you're asking here. That's part of why you're talking here, because your experience does have a too much power over you. And I have some articles here about your thought life, because that is a part of the problem. Your, your thought life, uh, it needs to be governed by the Word of God, not so much by your experience. But again, I know that's why you're asking the question, and so this is part of the process, so that you can make this transition to where you're not so experience-led, but you are faith-led led, and that's also why you want to spend six months working through these show notes in episode 240. Now, part of what you're talking about as well is this childhood-shaping influences. Uh, You you were in the church. You were associated with the church uh, when you were a child, and the question has to be asked, you know, can a child become a Christian? And, well, True, you can. I was listening to somebody just in the last couple of days, and I don't remember where, but they became a Christian when they were five years old. So this lady believes she did, and I have no reason to doubt her as well. There are many folks who can testify to a genuine profession of faith when they were young. But I have some questions for you. I have three of them specifically. Is it possible for a child to make a profession and it was not real. Is that possible? Well, the answer to that is absolutely yeah. You know, that's like saying believe all women, which is one of the mantras that, that's happening in this uh, certain season of our experience here in, in America. Believe all women. Well, th- that's a tricky thing. I mean, that, that that's just a blanket statement that, that everything that they say is true. Well, that's dumb. You, you don't believe all of anybody not everything that they say and it's similar here is it possible for a child to make a profession of faith and it not be real well okay well of course it is or maybe you can ask it this way is every profession of faith genuine no matter the age of the person claiming to follow christ same well no No, every every profession is not genuine. Is it possible for a person to succumb to peer pressure from others and make a false claim of salvation? It is highly possible. It is highly possible that a kid that was reared in a Christian environment to toe the line and and, and follow uh, what their parents are doing. Is it possible for parents or other people to put pressure on the child to make a profession of faith? The likelihood of the child making a profession of faith is pretty high. And then they walk away from the faith when they're 16. What are they walking away from? Did they walk away from the faith or are they now living according to who they have always been? Sometimes they can walk away from the faith. We call that being backslidden. Other times, well, they just succumb to the shaping influences of their culture or the familial dynamic in their lives. And they made a fake profession of faith. And now they are living out what they have always been. It does happen. It does. And, and so you had a, a shaping influence, a Christian shaping influence as a, as a child. You may or may not have made a, a profession of faith as a child. And then as you became older, you began to live out the reality of who you were, a totally depraved individual. And, and part of where you're struggling is, how could I live in this sanitized, sanctified place? Uh, Uh, condition culture and then live such a heinous life when i walk away from it well that's easy to do it's like you're being pressed down when you're in this sanctified culture but you're you're totally depraved you're you're not regenerate and you're just pressed down and so you're somewhat sanitized but you're a depraved individual and then when that lid is taken off and you shoot out of there, then you live the life that your depravity leads you into living. And so it sounds quite normal to me until you come to the end of yourself and then you become regenerated officially, genuinely three years ago. And so there's this idea about children being baptized. And I do wanted to speak briefly to it because sometimes what happens is these children make a profession of faith and then they are uh, their parents have them baptized or they want to be baptized and there there can be a herd mentality here they can be group think now, I don't want to get the, the nasty grams that say you, you mean children should not be baptized. No, you can baptize your children if you want to. It doesn't matter to me what, what you do, but I do want you to move with wisdom. I have a friend who believes that he's taking Acts 2.38, repent, be baptized, and he takes it as, as soon as you ask Jesus in your heart, you got to get them in the water. And I think that's an immature well, first of all, he's taking a historical narrative out of Acts and he's making it normative and across the board and this is how this is how it should be. Well, that's unwise, but he doesn't have a an in-depth understanding of of the Bible as well. And so you can overlook that and when his children get saved, he, he gets them into the water immediately, and that's fine. I wouldn't do that, but that's fine. You have the freedom to choose if you want to baptize somebody Uh, after a genuine testimony of faith. Just for the record, the way that we do it, but I want you to hear this carefully. I don't care what you do, honestly, as long as you do it with wisdom. And so I don't believe that our way is the right way for everybody. It's just the way that we have chosen to do it as a family. And the way that where we have landed on this matter is that we wait until our children are older, uh, and let them make a more mature and responsible decision about baptism and communion. I just baptized my daughter last year. She was 17, I guess, 17, 18 years old when I baptized her, and she said she wanted to be baptized. Our other two children at this point have not been baptized, and they're teenagers now, but that's on them it's their faith. It's their relationship with God, not their parents. And so we didn't want to do that when they were five. And again, I do want you to hear what I'm saying. Uh, you can do what you want to. You have purposeful freedom here to make that decision. But this is just how we do it. One of the questions I want to ask you is Do you believe the Lord saved you? If you have asked God to regenerate you to be born again, salvation is probably yours. I do have this mind map here that I would uh, appeal to you to take a, a look at. I'll give you a little autobiographical uh, snapshot into my life. When I was 12 years old, I made a profession of faith. I'm not sure if it was genuine or not. I was baptized a week later. I made a profession, I think, on Palm Sunday and, and was baptized a week later for me, I want I wanted someone or something to rescue me from my horrible family experience, and I was sitting in a church meeting, and the pastor did the altar call thing, and so I I, I went down and and I told him I wanted to become a Christian. I'm not sure I knew what all that meant. To be honest with you, I, I did sense guilt and shame for the bad things that I was doing afterward. After I became a Christian. But but I, I had nobody to lead me along. I had no role models to help me. And so I, I reverted back to some version of the life that I had always lived after I made a profession of faith, after I was baptized as a 12-year-old. And then at 25 years old, I made another profession of faith. And several months later, my pastor baptized me, which is my second baptism. My second conversion actually seemed to take And there are a couple of ways to think about my salvation journey. God saved me as a 12-year-old punk kid. I struggled with holiness for 13 years and recommitted my life to Christ at 25, and so maybe he did save me at 12, and then I struggled for 13 years and then recommitted at 25, or maybe God did not save me, and I was just looking for an escape, and so during a church service, I responded to the altar call, and then at 25 years old, I was truly converted. Here's the end of the story. I don't give it much thought to either scenario what is more cru- what is more crucial is where i am today how i think about and respond to god in my life practically speaking today and for the past 35 years at, at this recording i'm 61 years old for the past 35 years i've been walking with the lord and i don't let my mind fall into subjective analysis if a person struggles with the assurance of salvation they probably are believers it seems likely that a non-christian It seems very likely that a non-Christian would struggle with such matters because they don't care. Typically folks who want something so much that they will fear of not having it. And that's why a person who wants something like salvation so much, you will fear, you can fear. Of not having it. Unregenerate people don't want salvation, so they don't fear losing it. Let's say that you you didn't want a particular job. Say there was a job at the hospital, and you just don't want that job. You're not going to fear not having that job. You're not even going to think about it because you don't want that job. But let's say that you did want that job at the hospital. Well, you'll worry about it. You will wonder if you could get it. You'll wonder if you could keep it. You would fear losing it. We fear what we want, but think we can lose. Now, my goal here, again, is not to talk you into heaven, but to bring some common sense about the human psyche when it comes to our desires, our hopes, dreams, and wishes. We worry about the things that we want there are two primary personality types, those who overthink a situation and those who can let things go. I'm an overthinker and Lucia can let things go. We're the two personality types. It's the introspective me, the reflective type that can worry too much, and I do. People like me, we have a continuously running processor That we just haven't learned how to stop always running in our minds that other personality type has the gift of pushing stop on the voice machine that runs through their heads the backside liability of the overthinker and i suspect that the person is asking this question is an overthinker they tend to worry too much their gift is the ability to think the ability to analyze the ability to process data But when sin enters into a gift, this type of person, they can tie themselves into mental knots, overthinking their fears. I want to close this podcast, episode 240, and I pulled out some of the things that this question asker mentioned in this long question commentary that they sent in that really speaks to genuine conversion. One, they have a clear testimony of conversion. If you have a clear testimony of conversion, well, that's helpful. I'm not saying that you have to remember the, the, the plank on the floor in the old church building where you put your knee when you ask Jesus into your heart. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. Do you have clear testimony of conversion? When did God save you? What happened? What are the circumstances around it? Number two, he has a love for God. Number three, he has a love for others. Number four, he has a passion for serving the Lord. Number five, he has appropriate regret over his past. Appropriate regret, not, well, he has a little too much regret over some of it. And then number six, he has evidence of transformation, fruit of the Spirit. A clear testimony of conversion, a love of God, love of others, passion for serving, appropriate regret over the past, and evidence of transformation. I don't know. Sounds like a person who's born again. Now, if you want to talk more about this, please jump on our free community forums. You can do that. And our team, we're we're waiting for you. So let's get there. Let's ask. And we'll be ready to serve you. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.